This book, uh, we know from the previous weeks, and if you missed them, I'd encourage you to look them up online. You can check them out on YouTube or the church's uh, uh, website. But Peter is writing to what he calls these aliens that have been scattered. And Peter's writing during this time where uh, the Emperor Nero has, has come and he is calling these early believers, the early church is calling them to be courageous, to have faith in the face of suffering. He's, he's reaching out to them and saying, get the right perspective of your trouble, get the right perspective of your trials, knowing that the moment is just a brief moment in eternity. That If you get that right perspective, it will give you the courage that you need to face the trials that you are facing now. Peter is saying the transformation that comes through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is not the transformation of earthly rulers into godly leaders. It isn't the overthrow of ungodly governments. It isn't the absence of unfair laws. It isn't justice playing out in every situation. It isn't a carefree life for the believer free from suffering and persecution. It isn't for for us in our own context. It isn't even the transformation of a hostile boss or an unpleasant colleague. The transformation that we are called to focus on is the transformation of our hearts to be more and more like Christ. Because Peter says that when this transformation happens, this radical change of our lives from the inside out, that when we focus on that in the face of trouble and trial, when we feel persecuted, when we feel like we've been sold a lemon in life, that when we do that, when we seek Christ and we are transformed, especially in times of struggle, that others will see the reflection of Christ in us and they will seek that transformation for themselves. And what an incredible and challenging call that is to put first a transformation of our own hearts and lives to become more and more Christ-like in every situation so that others might see the result of Christ's work in us and want that for themselves. Peter, in the previous verses, has just talked about husbands and wives. Now he brings the discussion on how to act back to all believers. We're told to have unity of mind. Unfortunately, that's not you agreeing with me or me having to agree with you. It's having the mind of Christ. We're not to think our views are better than someone else's or vice versa. We're to search out and discover what Jesus is saying to us. It's that that truly unites us. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're to seek peace. That means to search for it, to actively look, to make it the focus. If you're searching for something precious, You hopefully look everywhere that you can think of. Even looking in places you think it can't possibly be. You turn over everything, you look under everything, you search again in the same spot that you just searched before, thinking, oh, maybe I just missed it. But you keep searching till you find it. Peace is precious and should be searched for. For the readers of Peter's letter, peace wasn't something they had. They were under persecution, under trials. 
It would be easy for them to think, it's not my fault that this is happening, that there's conflict and discord. It's not my fault. It's those people that are doing it to me. Yeah, I didn't cause it. It's their fault. Peter knows what they face, but he tells them that there is an obligation on them as followers of Jesus to seek peace, just as Jesus brought peace and reconciliation with, with God to them, just as he's done that to us. He brought peace, even though it wasn't his fault that there was discord and disunity and everything. Jesus brought peace. Not only do we have to seek peace, we have to pursue it. Pursuing something comes at a cost. Peter reminds them that God sees the righteous. That's those who are following him. And he hears their prayers. Peter consistently draws them back to the truth that God hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't overlooked them. He hasn't forgotten them. He cares for them despite what they are going through. And that evildoers will be judged by God. I love the fact that, that Peter um, tells us the reality. The reality of it is this reaction that we have to face is that people will see your transformed life and they will slander you because of it. People will see that, that your life has changed, your actions have changed, your attitudes have changed, and they will slander you because of it. They will find that difficult. Your friends will question and challenge. They will feel like you're judging them even when you're not. They will feel like there is, is something you think you're better than them. They will slander you. And I'd say this morning, there's actually something really sobering for us here because if you've come to Christ but nothing about your behaviour has changed, then I think you need to have a really hard look at your life. You need to have a really good look at the actions and the decisions and, and the, uh, the choices you're making and the, the practices you're participating in because when we come to Christ, people should notice that difference. People should see in our life, in our attitudes, in the way that we interact with people, that there is something different about us. One theologian put it that Peter's call to us is to develop a thick skin, but a soft heart. To develop a thick skin, but a soft heart. He's saying, hold the course. Hold the course. Don't allow yourselves to be worn down by slander. Don't get sucked into these old patterns of living because each one of us, and this is where it goes to in, in verse 5 and 6, each one of us will stand before God. And he says to them, look to those who have gone before. What we do when we're intentional about our time is we put our time in perspective, don't we? We see our time for what it is in the light of eternity. And Peter's picking this up. And these verses have said this. They've captured the, the one takeaway from, for you is, is that in whatever time you have, use it to do the will of God. In whatever time you have, use it to do the will of God. Don't get distracted. Don't let it pass you by. Don't let it be ruined by wasting it in the ways that you lived before you knew Christ. But be intentional now about your time. You know him. You know what he calls you to. So, so do it. Pursue him and live in the light of eternity. That first argument there is where he emphasises that new identity. You might recall Pastor Greg talking about the cornerstone and the temple and he used to look lots of Old Testament imagery. This is Peter's way of 
inviting these people in to a bigger story and making them realise they have this new identity as part of God's family. Right, and so that second argument there, suffering as a witness, is where Peter appeals to Jesus' followers you know, that their current hardships are actually an opportunity, right? an opportunity to demonstrate the transformation that's occurred inside of them. Right? And so Peter gives us examples of what that looks like to respond to the situation for people who are in particularly difficult situation. And that third argument there is where he puts their suffering, you could say, into a theological context, where he essentially says Christians should expect life to be hard. All right? They should expect suffering and persecution. And so that's really what propels this letter, even in the midst of suffering. It's possible to have this wonderful joy. And that joy comes from knowing that you will see Jesus in his glory when he's revealed to all the world. And again, Peter is trying to, or tying everything rather, back to this future hope. And the thing that ties everything back to is this future hope that we have in seeing Jesus return and that is the source of our joy. And joy being distinct from happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness will depend on your circumstance. And in times of suffering, happiness might even be inappropriate. But you can still have joy because joy comes from that future hope. It's that satisfaction or contentment that you have from knowing how it all ends, knowing that God has it under control. And so he's saying somehow find that joy. If you believe in what Jesus says, that joy ought to be there somewhere. If you're suffering as a witness, there are times of persecution and suffering, but we should look at those as an opportunity. Now, as crazy as that sounds, it's an opportunity to show people how we have been transformed, how we're different. Persecution offers us a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. And the second argument he's making is just the fact that we suffer for being a Christian. He's saying, we should expect this. We should expect suffering and persecution simply because we have chosen to follow Jesus. So as you meditate on those yourself, I pray that you'd take to heart what those mean and how you'd apply them to your own life and that your times of hardship might actually be times of opportunity to witness to other people and also to not be surprised. Don't be surprised when these fiery trials come your way. We should expect them simply because we've chosen to follow Jesus. I've called this sermon Stand Firm because that's very much what the whole book has been about. It's been about standing firm under persecution. When things aren't going well, when things are coming against you, stand firm. Stand firm. The whole book has been written to a church with problems, a church under persecution. And it has been saying, take the example of Jesus. And as you take this example of Jesus, know his grace and stand firm in his grace. It means humbling yourself and just living in that grace and doing nothing else but living for God. So in the light of the suffering, in the light of the judgment that's to come, Remain humble, submit to God and those in authority over you, and stand firm. But I'm a history teacher, and I read a lot of history of battles. And battles that go badly tend to be when everybody does not do the job they have been specified to, 
and does not follow the plan. Battles go very badly when people go off and break rank and do their own thing. So I want to tell you, we're in a battle and we need to stand as an army. We need to stand firm together, supporting each other. Together with the devil prowling around, sober-minded and loving, supporting and moving each other and building each other up in the spirit of God. 